Welcome back, everyone. This is Salt Talks. My name is Jason Zins, partner at Skybridge Capital, global multi-asset class alternative investments firm, uh, and increasingly these days focused on crypto. Salt Talks is a series of digital interviews with, with the world's foremost investors, creators, and thinkers. Just as we do with our global salt events in person, uh, we aim to both empower big, important ideas and provide our audience uh, with a window into the minds of subject matter experts. We have a great one today uh, and excited to welcome Mike Cahill to, uh, to Salt Talks. Um, Mike is a director of the PIF Data Association, which is the Swiss association behind the PIF network, the decentralized Oracle solution that brings financial data across asset classes on chain directly from the source May sound a little jargony to you guys, but that's why we're here. We're going to dive into it. Um, Mike comes to us from Porto, where he's also the head of European business development for digital assets at Jump Crypto, um, which is involved with PIF and is one of the market data providers. Prior to joining Jump and PIF, Mike spent more than two years at CBOE. Uh, before that, he was the global head of FX sales at KCG in New York for a number of years. Uh, and also had a stint at Nomura as head of uh, of FX sales there. Um, so, Mike, thanks for joining us. Um, why don't you uh, start off with a, a minute or two on on yourself beyond just the quick bio I gave, and more importantly, how you got into crypto, how you got involved with PIF? Cool. Thanks, Jason. Great to be here. So, um, yeah, you did your research. So you've got like the uh, I think the high level down. So traditional finance background. Uh, I worked at Morgan Stanley out of college um, in FX sales and trading. Um, the business was profitable. It was um, like, you know, a, a pretty desirable place to work. Um, but it wasn't really difficult to conclude that there was like tons of inefficiencies. So um, I moved into algorithmic trading um, because this was like a transition that had already happened with equities. It happened with futures. It was most likely going to occur in the FX markets. And so... I got into the FX automated trading business at Morgan Stanley, and that's where I made these jumps to the, the other firms that you mentioned. So KCG um, is one of the largest, or was at the time one of the largest trading firms specializing in U.S. equities. It's now a part of the um, um, part of Virtu, um, which was an, part of an acquisition that happened in 2017. Um, so basically, it was kind of seeing the direction of travel for the traditional markets, more automation, more special specialization and expertise. Um, and I continue to kind of gravitate towards the areas of innovation there. So in 2017, Virtue had announced an acquisition for KCG. Um, and um, whenever this happens, it's like a, like pencils down, pause all your work, sort of an event. And um, it was, you know, 2017, so you had this ICO boom and you had a big um, crypto bull market. Um, so it was a great time for me to like really dive into the crypto market. And so that's, that's really what I did. Me and a couple of other traders went very deep, read a lot of white papers, got very involved, signed up to a whole bunch of exchanges. Um, and that was what led me down the, um, you know, the path of, of getting involved in crypto. And then I joined Jump in 2019 and I've been there for three years. In 2021, and as you said, I'm running the business development, which really we think about as, as like our partnerships. So 
Um, in 2021, Pitt became one of Jump Crypto's largest partnerships. And so I joined the Pitt State Association um, on the board of directors. And I've been pretty much exclusively focused on, on Pitt ever since. Terrific. Uh, so you, you come at this from a traditional finance background, as do I and many of my colleagues at, at Skybridge. Two, two, two of the words that stuck out to me, innovation and inefficiency, which, which you mentioned, I think is what really summarizes w- why many of us are so excited about crypto. Um, so it seems like that was kind of your, your evolution. And then with the acquisition, you were sort of forced into it and everything came together. And, and now here you are, one of the leading crypto firms. Um, let's dive into to Pith. Um, give us the high level of what it is, uh, why people should know about it. Obviously, it's a um, it's essentially cross cha- cross chain data. Um, but give us the the dirty details and maybe touch on how it compares or contrasts to something like Chainlink. Yep, great question. So um, the, the the high level of why you would need an oracle is broken down into Bitcoin is you know in in the simplest form. A, a standard ledger that keeps track of the value of Bitcoin, right? And so it's it's pretty pretty easy to get your head around. Think about a spreadsheet, and it's just like you know, right now Mike owns one Bitcoin. I send it to Jason. You now own one Bitcoin. I'll um, take <laughs> yeah, <laughs> would have would have taken it last week probably even better. Um, and Ethereum gives you the ability to basically write smart contracts on top of that. So if certain conditions are met values of the ledger will be updated appropriately. Um, and then everything that has come past Ethereum as other layer ones or some version of that that have got uh, a variety of different um, specializations could be that they're faster block times and lower gas and so on. Um, so if you're building an application that is, is meant to run autonomously and be able to dictate where um, coins are going to end up on a ledger. You are largely going to be constrained to using the information that's embedded in that single smart contract application um, or using some kind of trustworthy reference data, right? So the simplest application would be, I don't need to look at any reference data. I just need to look at the values that are in this smart contract. So you can think about an AMM, the simplest version of an AMM, automated market maker, um, where you've got like a, a balance of tokens on either side, and you're using a very simple formula to determine what the conversion rate is for a new token to be added to that pool. Everything else that you want to build, any interesting application that's going to either be a lending protocol or allow you to do some kind of trading that isn't as simple and formulaic as that, will require some input of reference data. And then as soon as you start using reference data um, on blockchains, the stakes go up Im- immeasurably higher than when you do it on like the internet, because now you're actually that value that you're using as your reference data point is going to meet a certain set of criteria. And that criteria is now going to move something of value. If you're just using, say, like Yahoo Finance, um, Yahoo Finance is a web- website could go down, could have bad information. The stakes are very low with regards to them, like having bad information. If, if they've got bad information, it's a mild inconvenience to users, but it doesn't actually move anything of value. In the blockchain world, it doesn't work like this. If the value is of this reference data is incorrect, something can, can um, 
uh, transact. So like if you want to take a very simple example, we bet on the outcome of a basketball game. I bet that the Knicks are going to win. You bet that they're going to lose. We put some amount of um, Ethereum into a smart contract. And then at the end of the game, um, if the, you know, if, if the Knicks win and, you know, I get the, um, the amount that we put in an escrow, then um, uh, we would have to rely on someone to say who, you know, which, which team won the game. That's effectively the oral problem. If I tell them, if I'm, I'm the one that's providing the data, I'm going to be biased to say that the next one, if you're providing the data, you're going to be biased to say they lost. So we have to, have to come up with some trustworthy source. Um, so this is the Oracle pro problem very largely uh, kind of explained. And the, the way that Pith can construct a solution to this is to take data directly from data owners um, and provide it in the most streamlined way on chain um, that includes a distribution for interpretation of a price as well as a confidence band and has some elements of staking to it. So it's a, you know, sounds relatively complex, but if you break it down, um, it's, it's, it's pretty straightforward. So you've got first party data sources. And so the first party data sources, you think about like um, a, um, you think about like the, the ways in which digital music uh, was first brought onto the internet, right? In like the late nineties, you basically had um, like the big record labels didn't think about digital music as being an existential threat. And so people were able to take CDs, rip them, put them on a Napster and then make them available. And that, that lasted until like the early 2000s. And then, you know, Napster was student to oblivion. And then there was also just all this kind of spam that was coming out. Uh, that's like using third party data, right? So it's, they don't have any effective stakes in the system. They're not part of the economic chain. Um, the way that that data has been distributed is like it's, you know, kind of taken or screen scraped. Um, that's the model that's been used up till today for um, for data oracle. So when you when you mentioned like chain link, that's the model that they will use to take. It's going taking data from internet websites like Yahoo Finance or CoinMarketCap or CoinGecko and make them available to the blockchains. So when we were thinking about this problem, we realized well that is only going to scale so much. At a certain point, you're going to face the same problems that Napster faced with digital music. And the solution that ended up working more long-term and scaling was a Spotify solution, which was you bring in the owners of the, 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 the IP, you have them distribute it, and you have them benefit from the economic chain. And Pip does the exact same thing where it's anyone who owns data that is of a high caliber and high quality. So in our case, we're talking about financial market data, which typically comes from trading firms who send in bids and offers to exchanges and then trade with one another. And those trade executions um, can constitute what we would consider market data. So bids and offers and executions. And so what PIP does is, is it attracts the largest trading firms in the world to publish the data that they own, as well as other exchanges directly on chain in a way that can be combined to have an output that is a average price or the, the aggregate price, along with some uncertainty index that represents what the dispersion is of disagreements around a certain price. Um, so, so yeah, it, I'll, I'll, 
Pause there and see where. No, that that's helpful. It's always good to bring in, uh, you know, familiar analogies like like Napster. Um, so that that that's helpful, I think, for for our listeners. It it sounds to me like some of the key principles here are really speed and accuracy in in delivering the data. Um, speak speak to that how how you create a level of trust that you are delivering accurate data in a very fast manner to the end users of your data? Yeah, great question. So the way that the PIP network is set up is the, um, the data providers will publish the price and there's these confidence bands directly onto the Solana blockchain. And when the, and the, the reason why Solana was chosen as a layer one is where there's a design decision to be made, which is you can build this in a customized way that is gonna be as fast as humanly possible and have the cheapest gas, um, but only be built to process the PIP network. Or you can use one of the existing layer one, um, like adaptable layer ones with a runtime. And the idea for PIP was always to be cross-chain, right? It was never to be just a Solana Oracle. We believe that if you're a decentralized app building on any any particular layer one, you should be able to get the best data. And, and, and this is the solution to be able to get that. Um, so, if you're like, here's another kind of quirky analogy. Like if we're in like the land of where everyone's using like a horse and buggy and you've developed an internal combustion engine, um, but you've covered it up, the likelihood that people are not gonna believe that there's a horse underneath, underneath what you've covered up is very low. So what you need to do is expose like the pistons and the, you know, the, the turbines and things so that people can say, all right, this is how it works. It's you know, kind of moving up and down like this. Um, so we decided that we needed to do this out in a public way where people could easily audit the providence of what was being represented. And so Solana ended up being the logical choice because when you stack up all the available layer ones that you wanted to be represented on, you end up very quickly deciding that it's going to be the one with the cheapest gas cost and the fastest block time. If you have anything other than the fastest block time um, as algorithmic traders, you know, are, are all well aware, you've got information asymmetry, you're going to be at a disadvantage to somebody who comes up with a, a, a price that ticks a little bit faster. So we need to be kind of the fastest one to be future-proof to a solution that could be faster um, and do so in a way where you can then distribute to all other blockchains at their fastest speed. So it's pretty easy to do this on Solana. So right now there's an app, application that lives in Solana that's the PIT aggregation. Data providers publish directly to this application and it's fully transparent. It's, you know, time to tick is immediate from the time that the publisher is streaming the price. There's no middleman aggregators that are taking time to collect and, and redistribute that information. Um, and it's being aggregated at the Solana block time, which is every 400 milliseconds. From there, it's distributed to other block, um, blockchains who will all have slower block times. And what's cool about this is there's a website, pip.network, where you can look into transparently who is contributing the price for a variety of symbols. Um, but you could also, let's say that you, you wanted to go and validate this outside of something that's public like pitch, right? So that's one of the things within blockchain is kind of those trust but verify. So you wanted to verify this independently. All you need to know is how to use the Solana Block Explorer, which is something that's used for not just PIS, but every other Solana application that's out there. Um, and so you can go and click on the account 
pull them up in the block explorer and you can verify the provenance of the aggregation based on the fact that we said, hey, there's 32 data providers that are contributing to the Bitcoin price. Here's how you see them. And, um, and so that was really important. So this element of transparency, um, but being on the fastest possible blockchain um, was like the early design decisions and um, making sure that there is nothing cutting it into um, that passive distribution from the publisher right onto the blockchain. So it, it sounds like you guys gravitated towards Solana as many do because of the speed and the low cost. Um, obviously, as we know, with any blockchain or with any layer one, there's there's trade-offs. And one of the well-known trade-offs for Solana is that sometimes it, it does go down. How big of an issue is that for you guys? How are you able to navigate that? Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's an important point. So um, within the, the rollout of PIP today, we're currently live on Solana in mainnet and on a number of other blockchains only in DevNet. Um, the, this works okay for, for that composition, but would be a limitation had we, if we were, were to be live on the other layer ones in mainnet. Um, so, and the reason why it works okay is right now PIP is incredibly dominant on the Solana blockchain in terms of Oracle usage. I'd say greater than 90% of the applications that use an Oracle use PIP um, for Solana. And so when there's a problem with Solana, it's affecting them as much as, as, as it's affecting PIP. When you start getting into other, other layer ones, like finance chain being one that PIP has announced um, it's currently in, in the DevNet environment with and, and applications are testing. Um, that's not acceptable to have any downtime. Um, so what we're doing is working on a redundancy such that it will be live by the time that we're moving into to, to mainnet for, for those chains. It will meet the same criteria as the things that I described for the design decisions of choosing Solana, um, but will be sufficiently independent such that if Solana goes down, then this will be able to be a, a sufficient backup. Got it. Now that that's interesting. Um, so, as far as the the actual publishers, you mentioned, uh, you know, Jump is obviously one, but there are other trading firms and, and financial firms. How do you how do you get them involved? What's the incentive for them to participate with with their data? Yeah. So there's over sixty today, and I'd say there's almost no large trading firms that. Um, that are missing from uh, this network and, and it's becoming more and more the case with exchanges as well. So Jane Street, Susquehanna, DRW, um, Virtue, et cetera. Um, the way that they see this is in, in a couple of ways. So the first thing is it's almost a found resource for most of these firms. Um, about 10 years ago, the large exchanges in traditional financial markets made a diversification of their revenue streams where they introduce market data fees um, in addition to the execution fees. And over this 10-year period, the market data fees have become astronomical to the tune of like five to $10 billion a year for real-time data um, for traditional um, assets. And if you're a big trading firm, you're on one side of that um, ledger. You are just buying the data. And what PIP does is it gives really for the first time the ability for large firms who have tremendous troves of data 
to be able to contribute and now actually be on the other side, on the supply side of those economics. And so that's a really cool factor. You know, we understand that the market data business is this five to $10 billion a year in traditional markets, right? Different types of, um, of data requirements in those markets versus, versus crypto. But, you know, there's a value to this. And for Jump or Jane Street or Susquehanna to be able to contribute to this, grow an ecosystem of, you know, Web3 that we, we fundamentally believe in and we want to participate in. And we can help shape in terms of, of making sure that the tools are fair and accessible for, for the, the various builders um, is a really important function. Right. So um, this is like a you know, kind of found resource, almost a sunk cost where we had never been using it before. And now we get to monetize it. So the way that PIF allows data providers like us to monetize is through data staking. Um, a proof of work or sorry, proof of stake um, layer one validator uh, setup, which is, um, you know, in a, a energy efficient way to use game theory to keep people honest um, is, is pretty easy to understand and, and, and easy to apply to PIF for data providers. So in like your standard layer one setup, you'll have a number of validators and they'll have to post some stakes so long as they're being honest, which you'd figure out through this Nakamoto um, coefficient. Um, as long as they're being honest, they earn rewards. If they're being dishonest, their stake is slashed. If you apply those same principles to PIF, data providers, so long as you're sufficiently decentralized and there's over 60 data providers today, data providers that provide accurate information get rewarded after they've posted some stake and those that are inaccurate or, or incorrect um, are subsequently slashed. And so we're incentivized both positively and negatively, but ultimately we get a bet on ourselves as data providers um, and the quality of our data. If we bet that the quality of our data is going to be useful, we think it will earn rewards for it. Um, that's really the, 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 the primary goal. So there obviously is some financial incentive via the, the staking mechanism, but I think what you're also saying is that there's this, because we're talking about firms here that might otherwise be rivals and might not necessarily collaborate with one another. But as with many things in crypto, it does sound like there is this, um, this collaboration component to it, everyone working to growing the, grow the ecosystem. Um, and the, the various use cases uh, involved there. Talk to me on the other side, the users of the data. Are these trading firms also big users of the data? Are they writing trading strategies? Or, or give us a, a few examples, one or two examples of who's actually using the data on the other side. Yeah, sure. Um, so the, the data users are application builders. Um, and so I'll give you the kind of the, the, the most standard application um, to help kind of crystallize the, the usage. A lending protocol, something similar to Compound, say Solend um, on Solana, will allow you to deposit an asset and then take a loan out in another asset. And the use case for that is, I don't really want to sell my Solana right now, but if I had access to this other token, I could be using it in an application that I want to experiment with. And the way that these applications generally work is you'll have a collateralization level that will have a, a appropriate liquidation amount and you'll post that collateral and the application will basically need to keep track of where your liquidation level is. And so if you've posted $1,000 worth of Solana and you had a liquidation level at, at let's say $500, 
if the value of your Solana reaches $500, you'd be liquidated versus um, what you've taken out as a loan. Finding out what the value of your collateral is and converting that into dollars is a job of an Oracle. And so that's where PIF would be sending in prices and the application would be effectively looking at the values of the various um, types of collateral that they've borrowed or the types of assets that they've allowed people to lend out. And so that's where PIF is being used. Um, back to your point about like the, you know, the collaboration efforts, I, I think you, you totally nailed it. The, the way that Jump, Jane Street, and on all these other firms think about this is we're going to go build an arena together where we can compete with each other at some point in the future. Um, so right now it's a, let's go, you know, this is certainly not zero sum. This is absolutely positive sum. We're so incredibly early. We have the opportunity to make even more interesting ways for us to compete. And all we need to do is, you know, build that infrastructure um, together, which we know that no one else can, can really do it on their own. So we have to kind of work together to do this. Um, and then we'll go and, and fight each other to death. Yeah, completely agree. I think it's an interesting <laughs> dynamic that most people not deep into the space are aware of because you have these big name rival firms on Wall Street, which is notoriously cutthroat. Um, yet when you, you know, you, you look underneath the hood, there's a lot of collaboration going on. We think of it as, uh, to your point, being so early, we're all growing the pie. We can rip each other's heads off later. Uh, and I'm sure that that time will come. Um, we have a couple minutes left. Um, I want to touch on the progress that you guys have made in a seemingly short amount of time. You launched just last summer. Uh, obviously, everything in crypto moves very quickly. Give us a sense of the progress you've made in this short period of time and where you think you're headed, what some of the immediate um, priorities are this year and, and next year. Yeah. So we launched on Solana. And as I said, we've gotten to um, you know, greater than 90% of, of applications that are using Oracle are using PIF. So incredibly dominant on that chain. Um, we've achieved over 60 data providers um, and are on a trajectory to hit 100 before the end of the year, which we think we'll hit. Um, the next obvious expansion for PIF is other chains. So I mentioned that having this redundancy layer, which will allow PIF to leverage an interoper interoperability protocol called Wormhole to send transactions or messages from PIF to other chains so they can be used in a lending protocol, say on, on Binance chain, um, is, is what we're focused on. So for this year, we want to continue to increase the scope of the um, of the chains that PIF is, is, is working on and available on, um, increase the number of symbols that are supported so that more applications can use them and continue to make the, the offering more robust so more data providers um, and more symbols and so on. There's a number of features within the, the, the PIF white paper um, that will also be added. So that data staking that I mentioned um, will be rolled out in its first form. Um, so it's, there's a lot of stuff going on and really just expansion and expansion, um, which we're, 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 we're super excited about. How, how big is the team? And I asked that in the context of um, a lot of job cuts across the industry, Coinbase just announcing this morning. Um, how big is the team? How do you guys deal with what is becoming a very difficult economic environment, the potential crypto winner ahead? Does it impact you? Does it create opportunity? Do you keep your heads down and ignore it? Give us some insight there. We're about 30 people today. Um, we 
plan to hire another 10 or so um, focus on PIF. Um, we haven't changed those numbers in the last few weeks uh, materially. Um, we're going to continue to be really opportunistic. So when we see layoffs, we do think about that as an opportunity to hire some really good people. Um, in terms of like what's going on with the greater market environment, um, we, you know, we think it's a good opportunity for us to, you know, build without distractions, um, to continue to focus on really high quality projects and partners, um, which I think is something that people tend to deviate from when there's too much money in the system. Um, because you can often like buy your way out of earning the organic growth. And you know, we think that we'll be able to earn this organic growth by like finding tr really strong partners, getting them to understand the value um, contributions of PIF and the differentiations of having first party data and confidence bands. Um, so yeah, we, we, we think it's a great opportunity for us um, to continue to grow. You know, obviously no one likes the fact that the, the market environment is the way it is, but um, we're, we're really focused on, uh, on just kind of executing. And you guys, have, I'm sure, have, you know, interesting insight into the development activity on Solana and elsewhere. Have you seen a slowdown or a change given the drop in price and just a lot of the noise? Or is there still robust development activity going on with these blockchains? Yeah, we still see a lot of uh, robust activity in development. Um, I would say that the... The, the place, it, there's always going to be a lag, right? So um, the place where you would end up seeing, you'd end up missing out on the development is someone who's gone out of incubation and into like, hey, I need to raise money to scale. Like they're probably going to struggle the most right now. If you're either in incubation and you wanted to like, you know, experiment and, and um, throw a bit of spaghetti against the wall, like you're still going to be super active and we see tons of projects that look like that. Or if you've already got over the funding hurdle and you have enough of a balance sheet to be able to um, cover you for your burn rate for you know, several months or years that could take for this, um, this bear market to turn. And then you're obviously very focused as well. So um, we haven't really seen a, a, a delay. We haven't seen a lot of people who are like kind of um, hanging things up. Um, but I do think that like it'll it'll manifest itself in that sort of middle category um, if it does happen. Makes sense. We're uh, we're likewise seeing uh, similar in in the areas that we focus on. Um, so we'll we'll finish up here, um, Mike. I want to I want to summarize in my own words and maybe for our audience how I I think of Pith, and you can tell me if it's right or wrong. To to me, to put it in sort of Web two terms, is is you guys are really building decentralized or Web3 or crypto version of Plaid, which is a big infrastructure player in fintech that connects the data providers, the financial institutions where all consumer data is held to the leading fintech companies that have been building these amazing consumer products. Is, is, that, is, that, fair? is that a fair way to think about what you guys are doing? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, we, we use in more abstract, or I sometimes use a more abstract um, analogy, but um, I think yours is probably more spot on where it's like, we like to think of ourselves as like a GPS that enables the Ubers and other applications um, to be built. So we're, we're really trying to pave the way for all kinds of both winners and losers of like the, the bed of DeFi and Web3 um, to be able to use the best possible tools that are out there. Great. So we'll, uh, we'll finish up here, Mike. If let let the audience know resources that they can 
um, go to, to learn more? You mentioned a white paper. Where would you direct people to, to learn more about Pith? Or if they want to get involved, how should they reach out to you? Yeah, go to um, Pith.network, the website, and you'll find all of our links there. We're pretty active on, um, on most of the socials, so Twitter, Discord, Telegram. Um, reach out in the Discord, and um, someone will be, be able to get in touch and give you guys some more information. Terrific. With that, uh, we'll finish up here. Thanks, everyone, for joining Salt Talks. Thanks to our guest, Mike Cahill of Pith Data. Thanks so much. Thanks, Jason.